Hi, and welcome to this Startup Sales Growth Podcast Series. I'm your host, Nikolai Bedor. At my agency, Bedor Business Group, we recruit and build high-growth sales teams for technology companies. Over the years, we've worked with companies big and small, and what we found is that almost all businesses just getting off the ground struggle to create consistent revenue growth, and they know without it, they'll cease to exist. This is why we partnered up with Tech.MN to create a four-part sales series that will teach you, one, how to get those first meetings when no one knows who you are, two, how to turn those meetings into loyal, paying customers, three, once you have this process down, how to build a sales team to execute it. And four, how to keep that team motivated and inspired during the ebb and flows of a startup. You were listening to episode three. Now you've got this process down. Let's build a sales team around it to execute. You're about to hear from top local minds who've walked this walk and are eager to share their secrets. But before we do, I want to thank our sponsor, Field Collective, for sharing Studio Coco with us and their financial support. Fuel Collective is the new standard for blending work, play, and wellness all under one roof. Fuel Collective is a social lifestyle club and a co-working space where everything you need to take your life to the next level is right at your fingertips. Interested in learning more? Uh, of course you are. So visit them at fueledcollective.com for more information. You ready to jump into episode three? Let's go. Who's feeling electric? I need electrifying. All right, welcome to episode three of our live four-part series from Studio Coco called Startup Sales Growth. Now, sitting before me are two of the brightest minds on the subject of building successful sales teams, and I'm so excited to learn from these leadership legends. So across the table, to my left, you guys is right at home, is Ryan Padgett. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Nick. And to his left, your right, is Corey Storkamp. How's it going? Glad to have you guys. Okay, so... Here's what I'm going to do. So our listeners know who who's, who they're going to learn from today. I am going to warm up your cheeks by embarrassing you guys a little bit. Is that is that okay? <laughs> Let's hear it. Actually, I don't think we have a choice. I don't care if it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, Ryan Padgett. So for 17 years, Ryan has consistently driven double-digit revenue growth as a manager and executive leader, both nationally and globally, Latin America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, the last 14 years of which have been at three of the most recognizable names in the application technology industry. That would be Infor, uh, Oracle, and Epicor. In the inside tech sales space, Ryan Padgett is what Chuck Norris is to karate. And we are so excited to have you here, man. (laughs) Corey Storkamp. Corey was a four-time President's Club Award winner, ranking him in the top 3% of sales performers at tech giants such as Epicor, Oracle, and more. He is the super rare case of a performer who transitioned into leadership and selfless, selfless leadership, I should say, and has created even more success. Uh, that is a phenomenon. I don't know anyone else that's done it. I've tried and massively failed. But uh, at Microsoft, they call him Mr. Worldwide, as he is currently Microsoft's <laughs> global inside sales leader. Okay, they might not actually call you that, but he is currently Microsoft's global, global inside sales leader. Needless to say, I'm psyched to have him. Both these guys here today. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, Mike. Honored to be here. So, did I miss anything? I just want to make one quick correction. Um, There's there's several global leaders within Microsoft's inside sales organization. I happen to be one of them in charge of customer success specifically. So, I want to give credit to some of the other global leaders. I am not the global leader, one of several. Did anyone take that noun as a note? That is how leaders deflect uh, credit. <laughs> but only one is called Mr. Worldwide, and he is before us. His name is Corey Storkamp. Uh, I'm blushing. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Pat, did I miss anything? 
That's enough bragging for now. Cool. You can find me on LinkedIn. Ryan Padgett from here on out is going to be known as Padge. Padge, in my life, has been a leader as well. So when we were slinging books door to door back in Columbus, Ohio, in college yeah. for a little, 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 little big company called Southwestern, um, he was my mentor and saved me on those dark days. So I can say to our listeners, without waiver, both of these guys have taught me a lot of different things. Um, Thank you. It's an honor. So as you guys know, um, most of our listeners are just starting out. And uh, thus, we've created a series to help them create greatness on their own. Um, so here's where we're at. So in episode one, we covered they've created a product or service. And, um, and in the first two episodes, they learned how to, how to create kind of that, that marketing sales, uh, that top funnel type thing for them to get you know, appointments set. Um, and then after that, uh, how do you take those appointments and turn them into paying customers? And so what we're hoping to learn from you guys today is now that you have this, but now that they have this process down, um, they need a team. So where do they begin uh, building a team to execute it? It starts first with being a person in a company that people want to work with and for. So starting there at that foundational level, mm -hmm. um, have something interesting to say to top talent when you're recruiting. That said, once you get to that, when, and, and with that foundation laid, um, once you're at the point where you're starting to hire, very first thing that I'd look to do is to build my ideal candidate profile. What are the skills, habits, and experience that you're specifically looking for? And be, be specific and be, and be very selective in what you're looking for. So what are the, uh, uh, not just someone that can do the job, but what is that person that your, your top 5% salesperson, what does that look like? Um, identify who that candidate is, and then now you get to recruiting and finding finding those candidates, bringing them in. Um, where where are those candidates? How can you engage with those individuals? Um, that might be a local networking event. That might be a uh, a conference that those types of individuals hang out at, um, or it might be engaging with them online. Where would those people be? Is it a, a group on LinkedIn? Is there uh, a blog? Is there something that you could be posting where you could engage with that type of talent and, and pull them in? Um, when we were starting to build our team at Infor, I used a little recruiter I knew over at BEPG, hey. Mikolai Bedore. That was me. Who uh, was directly connected with a lot of <laughs> the, uh, the candidates um, that were the perfect fit for what we were looking for to do at, to, to do at Infor. And that was a great way to accelerate the process. And then, Lastly, I'll say, and I'm sure Corey's going to have a few things to, to add on, but uh, last thing I say is <clears throat> when you get to this point, you're starting to hire a team, every person you hire is one of the most important decisions you make. But when it comes to your first hire or first few hires, those first are, the, are, are by far the most critical. So that goes a hundredfold for building out a team. So... Again, being very selective if you have the opportunity, and very rarely, I'd, I'd say in Corey and I's career, we had the opportunity to uh, hire slowly. Yeah. We always had to hire quickly. Um, but when I did have that opportunity, this goes back to Epicor days, um, I interviewed maybe 10 qualified candidates per hire that I made. Can you say it again? It's because I did not know that that was a statistic. Holy. Yeah, I was interviewing somewhere between eight, I mean, I think eight on the low end to 10 qualified candidates that were already coming from 
a recruiter that gone through HR that I that I interviewed wow. before I hired. So I we hired know that. We hired a couple hundred. We interviewed a couple thousand um, back then. So if you can take the time, be selective. And the main reason why is well, a couple reasons. Again, this is the most important uh, uh, thing that you do, critical thing you do, is in building a team. Those first couple people are the most important. Um, the best way to scale a team is through referrals. Those first couple people that you hire, make them the ones that everyone else wants to be around. Make them the ones that uh, people gravitate towards, that people want to work with and be a part of, and that know the other people, the other type of people that, that you want to hire on your team. And then lastly, pay them well, set them up for success, and deliver. So, Corey, I, I want to hear your thoughts, okay? Yeah, no, I, he had a lot of great points there. I think something to reiterate, um, he's, he mentioned, Ryan mentioned be selective, right? I think that's that's key, and depending on how much time you have to ramp and to scale to the number that you need to get to, be as selective as you can, and, and don't don't sacrifice, right? Because okay, these, are extremely, these are extremely important decisions. These are your people. And think about how much time you spend with these people, right? You're spending more time with these people than your family in some cases, yeah. right? So you got to surround yourself with people that, um, you know, A, are going to be productive and get the job done, but also people that you're going to get along with at the end of the day. So I'd say don't sacrifice. It's worth waiting uh, for the right candidate to come around because the time it takes you to hire someone, get them on board, get them to a level of productivity, and if, they're not, if they don't work out... Oh man, it takes so long, right, to start that cycle all over again, just like with anything else. Mm. Um, so make sure to make the right decision on the front end, and maybe wait a little bit longer for the right candidate to come along. Uh, love the piece on referrals. I think when you when you first hire, yeah, those will be the people that other people look towards on the team. But also start pinging their social networks and their professional networks for talent because oftentimes we find that referrals from internal employees are so much stickier, meaning you're, you're going to retain them um, a lot more. And then also um, they're simply just better talent, right? They're going to um, perform and they're going to have someone internally at the company that referred them yeah. and their name's kind of on the line, right? So they typically perform at a higher level just simply because their reputation is on the line. So, you guys both alluded to it, and, and this I think, especially for for our you know for our folks listening, depending on where they're at. I mean, let's just assume you know, I hate to assume anything, but let's just assume that this is their first hire. They're looking to bring on their first sales hire. You both brought this up, and you specifically had said it, Ryan, was finding that that mark. I hate to say it, but find your mark. You find that you know basically here's your culture creator. This person now, you guys hired a lot of people. The folks listening probably haven't. I mean, how? You just said, you know, interview 10 people, one or two gets the job, and then and so on. How hard is it to find that that marquee person, right? That that culture creator. And then how do you find them? I mean, it's a pretty big task, right? It is a monumental task. It gets easier, I'd say. So I'm trying to put myself back to first starting to hire. And when you know, at the points where that we are now in our career, but the the network that we've built up over the years goes a long way. So I'd say uh, to all those that have the luxury, start doing this well before you ever need to hire your first your first oh, person. Okay. Be out meeting again. So, so identify your 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 profile. Um, get to where those people are. Um, engage with those individuals again. Talk, going back to what I said a few minutes ago. And then do that well before you ever need to hire. We, in fact, I still encourage 
hiring managers to do this, whether their team is is full, they don't anticipate any hiring coming up, um, to always be always be hiring. Just like you're always prospecting in sales, always be hiring. Have a great candidate uh, bench of individuals. Huh. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that's you definitely are. That's, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So do it well before you need to, because if yeah. you need to and you're under the gun, <laughs> that's when people make decisions like you, like Corey mentioned earlier, where they might settle because of a time constraint. Yeah, you always have to have a bench. Um, you know, it's probably something that might be last on the priority list for a hiring manager if they have a job to do, right? If they, yeah. if they have a, another focus, but it's super important to always be networking, always have that bench. You know, also try to look internally at your company. I know if, if we're talking to some smaller businesses, you might not have a lot to choose from, but there may be someone that's not in the right seat and uh, it may be apparent, it may not be, but start thinking about some other folks inside your organization that might be able to take on a different role or expanded expanded role because you never know. Some people from finance may have a desire to be in sales. Some people in HR may have a desire to be in operations, right? Yeah. So start talking to them about their career plans as well because the, the talent that you're looking for might be right under your nose. Huh, good stuff. So I have kind of a twofold question I'm gonna package it. I've seen you guys and, and, and Corey, I've worked alongside of you and Ryan, I've worked for you, right? So I've seen you guys build uh, award-winning cultures or winning cultures, and, and you guys know what I mean by that, right? Mm -hmm. And anyone listening, we've all worked for just absolute turds, whether it was a parent <laughs> when we were in high school or some dickhead, you know, I don't know. But we've all had that bad manager, right? And you guys have ex you guys have accelerated in your time, I mean, between the two of you, I would say hundreds at this point, right? People beneath you that have probably went on to great things or it became managers or leaders or whatever. So how do you build an, a, a winning culture? What, what does that look like? First of all, I want to address when you say culture, there is, I, I think if there's one term that gets misused, well, there's a lot of terms that get misused in business. I don't know if I can, if I can make that, that broad sweeping of a statement, but something that gets misused consi consistently is the word culture. Okay. Um, and what that means. And culture is not the foosball table or <laughs> the keg yeah. uh, or the 300 IPAs from Fulton sitting on the sitting on the desk. <laughs> that is an unofficial sponsorship. <laughs> thank you guys for the tour today and thank you for uh, sponsoring unofficially uh, this podcast. So <laughs> Although that certainly helps the culture. <laughs> um, that's not culture. So when you talk about culture and it, you, I think in your question you, you were asking the right question and alluding to what makes a winning culture not just a fun place yeah. to go and spend eight hours in a day. So I'm gonna, maybe two or three things. First, uh, make work meaningful. Understand what that means to you, understand what that means to your team yeah. um, and to the rest of your employees. Uh, and then focus first and foremost on, on, on making work meaningful. Second, focus on your values and then weave that into your, you know, the moral fabric of your team and your organization. Once you have those two things set and people are doing something that that drives them and that motivates them and there's a there's a connection between what they're working for and towards and what you as a company or, you know, or as an organization are working to and for um, and towards, now you can start layering in the activities um, and the things that align to uh, what you're trying to create and align to those values and meaning. Uh, uh, make it work meaningful. I love that. That. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Ryan makes some really great points here. I think um, you need to define what that culture means to you and to your organization and have that pervasive throughout the organization from the top down. You have to live and breathe it every single day. You have to be the face of that culture okay. and, and show up with that every day. That's and that, that, that can be hard to do at times, right? You have a down day and you want to just drag, but you, you got to pick yourself up and you have to put on that face. And so that can be tough to do. Um, I, I like his point about finding people's motivations as well because everybody's motivation typically is different there are some themes of motivation some people are motivated by money others are motivated by recognition others just want to climb the chain and want to move up in their career so it's important to find out what motivates each individual and accelerate that and bring out the goodness in that and create a, a work environment and a culture that's really based on all that goodness uh, I'll tell you a, a quick story about a little bit about culture and about how the perception of let's let's say this example in a salesperson can be can be difficult sometimes this one gal who worked for me um was you know she didn't she hadn't closed her first deal yet and she's just really really doing all the right things right and so at, at the end of the day i i was like don't worry you're going to get that you know commission check someday and she's like Corey, that's not what motivates me she's like i i actually want to get up there and ring the bell like all, the, all that I really care about is the recognition of my peers, right? And so I, I had the totally wrong approach with her, right, in, in, in terms of motivation. And so she's doing all the right things. We're coaching her, all this and that. But then we tweaked our kind of our messaging to her around, well, guess what's going to happen when you close that deal? Everyone around you will make sure everybody's there and you'll ring the bell and it'll be this great moment. So she kept that in her mind. And uh, she finally closed her first deal. She rang the bell and she ripped the cord right off the bell. Like that's how that's how like that's how excited she was to like actually um, close her first deal. It wasn't about the money. It was about that recognition of her peers. So it's super important to find out um, what motivates each individual. Uh, I know it's it's this is varying slightly from your question about culture, but I think it's an important topic to discuss. Actually, with that, Corey, I want to stay on this because I think that's important, and I'm. I would love to hear more about maybe in the interview process, you know, bringing them. You discovered that after the fact, right? But what about people in the interview process? I mean, have you guys found, A, is there just like three to four criteria? Like, I'm motivated by this one, this two, this three. Like, maybe whatever those motivating things are for each individual in stacked ranked, right? Some people aren't motivated by my money. They're motivated by... Um, would you say, you know, yeah. credit, but some people are motivated by, because they have credit card debt out the, the door and they are motivated by money, but some people want to give all their money away for purpose. Could you kind of expand on? I mean, the motivations I, I kind of broke out earlier or, or what I've found in, in different buckets and categories. One is by money, right? Um, specifically, I mean, our background is in sales, right? And so I think it's natural and I think it's okay to be motivated by money, right? Mm -hmm. People should embrace that. Um, also by recognition, I just told the story about um, recognition piece and making sure that um, you do a, a standing meeting if it's maybe Friday afternoon and go, hey, I want to call out so-and-so for doing this great work. And that, that goes right back to the culture, right? You want to have a, an environment of recognition and um, making sure that people uh, feel good about their contributions to the business. And then the third one is, is, is about progression, career progression. Like, are they on a track to get into management or get into other avenues within the company. So those are the three main buckets um, that I typically see in terms of motivation. Um, but you start to like double click on those as well yeah. and find like the true, the true motivation, right? When people bring it back to like their family, 
right? Or yeah. or like my father was in sales, and I want to I want to do right by him and his reputation, and do um, and provide for my family like he provided for ours. Like that gets to really really deep reasons why people are doing what they're doing, and just as one example. But I think if you can get to that level, I think you're you're golden. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, you know that. I, it goes back to so. On those, the, the, the three buckets that Corey talked about, and it, to go back to how you phrased the question anyway, Nick, I don't, I, I haven't found any way that one is greater than the other. What how, what they're motivated by and, and how they're motivated, what's meaningful to them. But what Corey's talking about is purpose. Yeah. And what is it that really drives uh, drives me? So when it, comes, when it comes to money, money is a motive, but you know, what to what purpose, to what end? And the more you can get them to explore, what that is, like you said, maybe it's maybe it's giving it away or helping somebody, or they want to you know they want to adopt somebody because they feel like they've got a lot of love to give in their family, or they want to help another family adopt. You know that type of tying the money to a real emotional purpose. I guess that's really what it boils down to. Is uh, you know you talk about motivation, it's not logic, it's emotional. So how do you yeah. get to that emotional core? And I mentioned this in our coffee and closers not that long ago, but a great short read is the common denominator of success. You can download it online and it at least gives you a, a real good description of what it means to find a purpose. It's a good place to start exploring with well, your team. I love that. Like you guys said, I mean, we wouldn't be in sales if there wasn't a money motivation, but money is paper. Money's not worth anything if, other than what someone's willing to pay for it, right? So if there is a purpose and whatever that is, it's, it's neat to hear you guys how, and how you identify that, mm -hmm. right? So what, any, what motivates somebody? Mm -hmm. So as an example, so taking it out of the, the, the emotional, you know, I, we, just, we just talked about a couple of things, like real mission-driven things. But one of the things that, uh, uh, to go off of the, the money piece and to make this more tangible for some people, I know somebody that wanted to have, um, that was motivated to make a certain amount of money because they wanted a Porsche. And the way that they kept themselves motivated and then broke it down into little micro goals is they determined what each part of that car would cost. So what did the what did the tires cost? And Interesting. What did the seats cost and the engine and the body and the emblems and so forth? And then they worked towards those things and they crossed they were crossing those things off as they made another sale or another commission check. I just bought my tires. I just bought my windows. I just bought my awesome stereo system. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, whatever whether it's something very emotional or Tangible. This, always to this make is it great, guys. Thanks, thanks for letting me ask that because I just kind of brought it out, right? So I have another question um, that is opposite of the question I just asked, and that is, there isn't anything more treacherous or dangerous, I think, to a budding company than hiring the wrong person, uh, potentially a cancer to your organization. Do you guys have any advice on, you know, how do you identify? You, we just talked about how to identify a winner. How do you identify, you know, that potential cancer to your organization? Do you guys have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, to me, there's just patterns that you recognize, and a big one's attitude. Um, they just they they look at the business as you know excuse after excuse, or woe is me, or I can't seem to you know make any ground in the territory. And if they're doing all the right things, and that's happening, then success will come over time, right? If they're doing all the right things, they'll get there, right? And if you're coaching them right. But if, if they're just giving up and their attitude is is kind of piss poor, for lack of a better term, I think that's that's pretty obvious up front. And I think that 
in turn, you'll just you'll see the results from that as well. And if you if you double click into lack of results and find the attitudes not there and the drives not there, then you gotta you gotta move quickly. Um, you gotta get them out of the organization it, as quickly as you can, right? And in larger companies, that tends to be a little bit more difficult. And smaller companies, maybe you can move a little bit more swiftly. But you gotta make that decision. It can be hard. It can be emotional. But at the end of the day, you have to look at it as there's a better fit for them somewhere else. And that was really hard for me to, to, to come to terms with when we've had to let people go, is listen, it's, it's, it's not a fit for, for us and our company, and we're all better off. The company's better off, my team's better off, and they, in fact, will be better off at the end of the day because they'll find something better suited for them. Yeah, one of the hardest conversations is somebody that is doing all the right things, but that this isn't the right fit for that individual. But I guess the way that I think, so, you asked about how do you identify that early on because and it's, it's hard it's really hard to find that to, to identify yeah. that in in the interview going back to you know purpose and what drives them is is one good way to to really flush that out right do they have something that's meaningful and impactful and that's outside of themselves if i think about most of the winners that i know they focus on making themselves and others better and if you contrast that with a loser who typically tries to make themselves better by tearing other people down um, or by bringing other people down with them if they're failing. So people aren't, gonna, aren't going to come out right and say that in an interview process. <laughs> but um, one of the things that you can do or you can hone in on is focus in on leadership qualities in the interview process or how they collaborated on a joint success or uh, you know, get them talking about a, a a team environment or a team success that they've had, and how and, and and listen for how they made others better, and the pride that they take in in not only making themselves better and what they do to invest in themselves, but what are they also doing to invest um, in others? That's a, a big difference maker. Fantastic, man. So, do you guys have any recruiting or interviewing process that that you'd like to share? Any any sort of tips or tricks or anything you know that, that you can pass on to our listeners? Well, I'd give everyone the silver bullet, but <laughs> yeah, there's... I don't know if you want to do that quite yet. I don't really have an interview process per se. Yeah. That I feel like and I know you said there's comedy closers. I didn't mean to put you in the spot. I just, you know, you guys have a process, you just don't know it. There's sure. There's no way you've hired that many people without a successful process and done what you've done. I'm just curious yeah. about it. So a couple of things that I do, though, and I'll, so I'll touch on that okay. instead of talking about what the interview process is, because it might be a little bit different for a uh, large corporation, too. But I already mentioned, first and foremost... I you know, start with my ideal candidate profile, and then I identify what are the key questions that I can be asking that flush out those attributes, habits, and skills that those individuals may have. Second, I really try to humanize my interviews. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, <clears throat> how do you get behind the mask? Right? Everybody puts on a face or a show in, a, in an interview. But how do you humanize that and get to, you know, that level of if you were having a beer at the bar with this individual, what are they really about? Um, if you don't do that, you might be a little bit surprised about what comes in the first day <laughs> in the office. Um, third, if you're hiring a team, uh, and especially if you're just starting out, get buy-in, uh, buy-in from either your peers, if you have a small team already getting buy-in from them, getting buy-in from your boss. You gotta be careful with that, because at the end of the day, you are responsible for that hire and making the right hire, and you might have to 
move forward with somebody that other people don't necessarily have buy-in to if they're the right candidate, but as much as you can, get buy-in. And then lastly, uh, don't be afraid to hire people that are better than you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank Love you. That. That was case in, case in, in point in this room, <laughs> two Did people you, that- You hired both of us, didn't you? That's at right. one point. Yeah, me at Epicor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I, it's so interesting because for the listeners out there, Ryan and I both have kind of notes in front of us, and, and I was literally, as he was going through his hiring recruiting process, or hiring process rather, it's almost identical. You know, I, identify your ideal candidate profile and don't sacrifice, like, yes, you may need to scale quickly in some instances and you may have to go faster than you want to, but try not to sacrifice as much as, as possible. Um, and then identify your pool, your, your candidate pipeline, right? Whether that's internally or externally and who you're going to work with. Is it an outside recruiter? Is it you're going to source it on your own and, and maybe save some money? And then um, the piece about buy-in, like there are certain stakeholders in your business and I'm specifically thinking in larger businesses where you need to get their buy-in because they're going to be affecting the business, the larger a picture of the business and there'll be some stakeholders involved that you want to involve in that process. So I, I run into that a lot, but in a smaller organization, if you're hiring someone, you might want to talk to the owner. You may want to talk to some other people that um, are going to be interacting with this individual on yeah. a daily basis. Sometimes when the interview process is complete, I'll introduce that candidate to some of their, what would be their peers, just to see if they can get along, right? Because again, you're spending so much time with this individual on a daily basis. And then the only other piece that I had here is is identify your process. Is it a one-on-one -on -one interview? Is it a panel interview, right? Um, how many rounds of interviews are you gonna go through? And be really intentional and specific on that because um, you may get different results or you may have reasons for doing one-on-one -on -one interviews versus panel interviews, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, think, of, think through that process as well at the end of the day. That's great, you guys. With that, I mean, is there anything? I mean, you guys, have, you guys have shared so much, and honestly, I, I can't <laughs> thank you enough. But is there any, you know, final inspiration you'd like to pass on to our listeners as they go about their journey? Sure. Two things: always be recruiting, and then lastly, take genuine interest in the people that work for you. And I'm going to leave it with a Zig Ziglar quote: "You can have whatever you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want." Amen. Awesome. I'm not sure I'm going to top, top that. that. Suck it yeah, up. exactly. Um, so two things. Um, surround yourself with greatness, right? Like, I think um, I can speak personally just based on the success that I've had is because of other people and because of the people around me that um, are just amazing, amazingly talented individuals. So try to surround yourself. I know it's easier said than done, right? But try to surround yourself with greatness and, and try not to sacrifice. That's probably the second or third time that I've said this during the podcast. But... Um, it's so important to make the right hire, and if your gut's telling you that there may be somebody else out there, trust in your instincts. What? I am still picking up all those little nuggets of golden knowledge. Uh, that was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And that is the end of episode three. But before we part, I want to thank my friends at tech.mn, of course, my amazing Bedore business group team, our sponsor-fueled collective. We couldn't do this without you. And my man, local music legend Alex Rossi, for providing this jam. Hope you enjoyed the show. Episode four is next. Hey.